I'm Annalisa Enrile of Good Mix, and I'm this week's guest on Metapod. You're listening to Metapod, where we unpack the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. This is Wendy, your host for this episode. Thank you for tuning in. As you might know, Metapod unpacks the web's most interesting podcasts and the stories behind them. And if this is your first time listening to Metapod and you love hearing about podcasts, guess what? You'll find more episodes featuring more great podcasts at metapodshow.com. So this week's guest on Metapod is Annalisa Enrile. She's presenter of the Good Nicks podcast. Good Nix explores the journey and meaning of doing good in the world through personal, first-hand accounts of activism. The voices featured in Good Nix suggest that everyone can do good in the world, whether that's in your community, your job, or just your personal life. Stories are told by a range of normal yet exceptional people, social service providers, nurses, movement organizers, police officers, and political activists. We're not presenting Good Nicks, Annalisa Enrile is a professor of social work at the University of Southern California. She's also a human rights activist who fights against human trafficking, and she's quite passionate about the power of storytelling in education and activism. As you'll hear, we discuss some of the common threads among people changing the world in big and small ways. Annalisa's down-to-earth sensibility and humor come through in this behind-the-scenes conversation about the issues that Goodnicks explores, including some of the more challenging aspects of activism and service to humanity. I'll start the tape. Annalisa, welcome to Metapod. Thank you so much for coming to talk about Goodnicks. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited about this project, so um, it's great to get to talk about it. Yeah, so the the project is fairly new. You are the presenter, and the show examines what it means to do good in the world. Now, I want to ask about a very small but I think special detail in the introduction to the show. You make a point of welcoming not only those who are doing good already, but those who might be just thinking about it. And when I first heard this, I thought, oh my gosh, maybe she's talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> what was the idea behind that small gesture? And then more broadly, who should listen to Good Nicks and why? So I, I'm really glad you noticed that small gesture. It was actually something that we added after we had listened to all of the different interviews that we that we did, you know, during the season. And that was because there was a very real, I think, tangible need in the world now to want to do good, but not knowing how. And one of the things that all of the people we interviewed said, all of our good Nick said, was I, I felt compelled to do good. I felt a problem that needed to be solved. I, I didn't know how to start. And then I just did. And we thought, you know, there's so many people, there must be so many people out there in the world that just want to do some good, don't know where to start or don't feel they have the capacity to. And I think that the strength of this um, podcast is 
everyone can do good in their own small corner or and or big way. Um, and that's really, I think, makes this a podcast that, you know, anyone who has been involved in like movement building, community organizing, um, service to humanity or changing the world, this is your podcast, but it's also for those people who are like, God, I want to change something. Where do I start? Yeah. I mean, I was impressed with the fact that you included a nurse or a policeman. So they are not just these people, uh, like you said, uh, movement builders, but all types of people. Yeah. I am a social worker by training and I, you know, often am around these people that are doing extraordinary things. And I I think that, you know, we're living in a time in a world where we are finally recognizing the role of these critical roles that first responders play, that teachers play, that grocery store workers play Mm -hmm. and um, redefining also what good means. Cause I think it's daunting and intimidating when, you know, you think of like doing good in the world is, you know, these huge macro changes Mm -hmm. When it's so, I was just talking to someone yesterday who said, you know what the hardest thing is about changing the world? And I said, what? And he said, to to be kind. Like kindness is difficult sometimes. That's that's interesting. I actually thought about that before we were talking. Um, Kindness or maybe lack of kindness, someone must be on the end of that at some point in someone's efforts to do good, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I am also a professor and have students who are earnestly engaged with wanting to impact the world's wicked problems. And we always start at the point, and I always try to make the point that, you know, wicked problems exist, unfortunately, because there are some people that benefit from it. Mm -hmm. And so that is what makes it so intractable to try to solve because people are fighting to keep that advantage. And so it makes things that seem very natural, like kindness and love and belonging, really paramount and difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that is one of the strengths that our good Nicks represent is this humanity and vulnerability um, and and almost normalcy of, wow, this work is really hard Mm -hmm. for some very basic reasons that you never would have guessed. The idea of power in a very raw sense uh, as a struggle between, let's just say, good and evil, I notice this this doesn't really seem to come up in the way that your good Nicks talk in the podcast. And that might just be language that they're using or maybe a choice that you've made. Um, there are a few conversations where people explain moments where they realize they're working against these institutionalized power structures that are much larger and more powerful than any one person, but still the language differs from some of the more fiery language that we might typically associate with activism. In your experience, is there a difference between doing good and activism, or is this just about language and perhaps a more self-reflective state of mind in the podcast? I think that every act of good is an act of activism. And, you know, I also believe that we are socialized into thinking that activism looks a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, that it's on the street, that it's in protest, that it is, you know, fire behind your words and your actions. 
Um, and, and that was maybe one of the best lessons that I learned in hosting this podcast are all the different ways that activism actually shows up. There is um, an example of, you know, our ICU nurse that talks about how she learned, you know, care from her mentor nurses and, and doing things um, like grounding a baby, which you don't have to do, but which is like the humane, proper, kind thing to do when you're taking care of this, this small life and, and trying to get them to, you know, get past this crisis. And to her, that is an activism um, or a type of activism. I think that in part it is language because we are becoming a world that is really sensitive to lexicons now um, and of how we bring people into a space. So, you know, getting rid of some of those really intimidating words and making it so that anyone, right, could be inclusive and belong and engage. But I also think it's a great lesson in, in folks that have been doing this for a long time, like those types of lessons that you learn. Um, one of the themes that kept coming up is you can burn out very easily. You could get discouraged very easily. You have to keep your mind on the long game of change and of doing good. And sometimes that means retreat. So several of our good Nicks said, you know, at a certain point, I had to say, I need rest. I need to realign. I need to recover. My favorite line from Audre Lorde is that rest is an act of political, you know, it's a, it's a political act. And, um, and I agree with that. And I don't mean in the self-care sense, like that we hear about with wellness, although that's important, mm -hmm. but I don't mean like, Wendy, go get a massage. If you don't feel good that day, I mean, like, I'd be happy to though. Yes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean it more in the sense of, you know, a, a realignment, a checking in with yourself, making sure that you have a very strong support system. Uh, one of my favorite, you know, we're not supposed to have favorites, but one of my favorite good Nicks that we interviewed um, is a young woman named Jessie who, who talks about, you know, um, we cannot be activists at the detriment or dismissal of our own families and needs. And, and she said that that's been one of the biggest balancing acts. And I think that that's the same with a lot of the others we interviewed and a lot of people in the world that are doing good is how do you create that balance between what the world is asking of you and what you feel committed to and also what your, your immediate life and, and tribe needs from you as well. You have talked with your good Nicks about what I would call some counterintuitive strategies for doing good. And that may be things like you said, uh, stepping back to take a break, asking for help, um, examining yourself and your own contribution to overcoming or maybe even maintaining the obstacle at hand. Are there other counterintuitive strategies that you hear about from your good Nicks? Yes. There is a great example. One of our good Nicks talks about being really successful as an artist and activist um, and so successful that he gets invited to the White House to, you know, engage in an um, executive appointment. And this is really a lesson in, in who you are versus what you think people want you to be or what you're supposed to do. And, you know, 
that appointment came with a lot of prestige and a lot of feeling of kind of like moving up, whatever moving up means and progressing means. And then kind of stepping back and saying like, no way, I'm really an activist that needs to be in the field and not in this nine to five having meetings. Although in someone's world, that's important as well. And I think it's counterintuitive because we're very much socialized to say, I'm going to climb this ladder, whatever that ladder is, of, of whatever society says is progress, whether that is your ego, materialism, you know, you know, fill in the blank. Um, so I think it takes a lot of bravery and counterintuition to say, no, 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 wait, I need to put a pin in this or put the brakes on and step back and say, this is actually not where I'm most effective or most happy and I need to get out of it. And I think that that is, you know, um, Bozeman St. John, who does a lot of organizational leadership stuff, she says, we have to be willing to say, wait, I failed. I did it wrong. Oh, wait, I did it wrong again, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and be able to back up again, which is very counterintuitive because a lot of times when you're in these positions of creating change, you yourself become aspirational to those that are working with you. Mm. So to be able to say like, wait, I'm going the wrong way and stop and then have it actually be a stronger, better decision is I think the pinnacle of being counterintuitive because mm. oftentimes we are like, keep going, keep going, keep going. We're going to solve it. Mm. And it just, you know, doesn't work that way. Aside from presenting the Good Next podcast, you're a clinical professor of social work at the University of Southern California and a human rights activist. Do podcasts or any other sort of audio storytelling play a role in your work or mentoring or activism? Absolutely. I think storytelling in general is so powerful and a good story, the un veiling of a voice that we don't hear of a narrative that we don't get access to can really make all the difference. I can um, assign students articles and articles to read and the power of hearing a five minute narrative almost is, you know, more compelling because they, they resonate it with it. They see it and they see that story in their own lives and experience. And those of their, their clients, if we're talking about social workers and other human service providers. And yeah, it's, it's pivotal, you know, education is changing. And we can no longer be kind of in that ivory tower where we are assigning readings that may or may not have any impact or pieces of research that, you know, exist in the ether somewhere. And we have to find ways, I think, to engage students' curiosity and their imagination. That, to me, is the first step in igniting what they are going to do in the world with these degrees. Um, I'm convinced now that there's nothing more powerful than storytelling. And because of the pandemic and everything being like on Zoom and so much content being available, and you know, you could pick up your phone and see anything, you could put on an Oculus and be in a totally different country. That audio power of being almost just with yourself in this silence that only includes another person or a few other person's voices mm -hmm. is also viscerally powerful. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that has something to do with it as well. Yeah. 
Over the course of the episodes of Good Nicks, you point out some common threads that I think you've come to learn about people who do good. And uh, one of those is doing good tends to start early. Another one seems to be having a mentor who champions your work. For listeners who haven't heard Good Nicks yet, what are some of the other common threads that tend to run through people who do good? I think one of the common threads is the belief that change can happen. You have to believe that the work that you are doing contributes to the larger paradigm of change, whether those are very, very small things or, um, you know, huge sweeping policy changes um, or, you know, movement building as, as we've been talking about it. I think the other piece, a couple of the other pieces is to be willing to um, to be open, sorry, to be willing to be open. And, you know, one of my favorite episodes talks about like, how did you know you were on the right path? You know, it's a little bit woo woo, but like, were you listening to what the universe was telling you? And in that episode, we talk about like this theme around that is very similar for a lot of them, which is to be open to things that you might not be comfortable with or that you maybe have no experience with, but leading you, you know, in the direction of, of the work that you want to do. Um, so many of the people that we interviewed said, I, I didn't think I could make a living doing, you know, this thing that I was passionate about. And yet, you know, here I am doing it. And I think that an, another universal is the idea of community and collaboration and nobody getting there alone. So, you know, being able to build those communities and relation, the importance of relationship. So no matter how big of a movement you're building, it's always based on relationship and, and, you know, and people. Mm -hmm. A very important and I think challenging episode of Good Nicks is episode eight, which is where, you have people talking about how they uh, continue in the face of adversity. And you list five things that make a difference in recovering from adversity and persevering. Gratitude for life, relationships, as you just mentioned, belief in what's possible, emotional strength, and belief in something greater than yourself. I promise there's a question coming here. Um, I, I think this was my favorite episode. Um, you you know, when adversity strikes, it's tempting to shut down, but you also say that tragedy and trauma can lend a new perspective and foster growth for people. And then you pose the question, you know, when something bad happens, what do you do? Do you give up or do you reset and recommit to doing good? My question is, and I think you've talked about it a little bit already, but when is it okay to give up? Or is it more a matter of reframing what giving up means and looks like for someone? I love your question, by the way. Um, (laughs) It relates actually to an earlier episode that we did. I think it was like episode three or four, where we basically say what happens when you fail and, and how do you give that up? Um, and it was really funny, Wendy, because uh, when we were doing the interviews, that was a question I had to ask a couple of times. And the executive producer, Jeff Leitner, at certain points, who, who was there at all the interviews as well, would sometimes have to jump in if, you know, if he felt like we're not getting like to the answer. Mm-hmm. But what we soon realized was that many of our good nicks were like, 
what what do you mean give up? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, yeah. you know, it was a very, you know, and it was a really kind of interesting process. Um, but, you know, in terms of when, when do you know, sorry, in terms of when do you know when to give up and how do you do it? Is that what you were? When is it okay? I, I think maybe that's a different you know, a a personal, emotional sort of reckoning with yourself, like it's okay to stop this, or it's okay, it's okay to give up because of whatever reason. Maybe forgiving yourself is a way to think of it. Yeah. So for most of our goodniks, the answer to that question is kind of like, if they knew that they did everything possible to address the challenge, the problem that, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank, and they did everything possible that they could, they wouldn't necessarily love the process of letting go, but they could do so, you know, knowing that they gave it their best shot. But also I think that is a recognition, you know, to your point earlier about personal limitations Mm -hmm. and also kind of understanding I could only take this so far. Um, And then the belief that, we have hope that someone may take it further, you know, like nothing is certain, Um, you know, there's constant change. And so this is maybe not fully giving up, but letting it go for the moment or for somebody else. And I think that quite frankly, that's the most difficult challenge of all for all of the people that we interviewed for all of the good Nicks. Um, And, you know, this episode eight is also one of my favorites in terms of how do you grow from adversity, whether it's personal? So many of our goodniks shared these beautiful personal stories and how difficult it is just to see yourself in the situation and to have to come to that reality of this isn't working Mm -hmm. and I can't shut down because of it. And I think that that was also kind of a universal theme between our goodniks, which is there is going to be trauma. There is going to be tragedy. How do I take a beat from it and then start to grow and start to pivot? And, you know, what you were talking about in terms of realignment, um, I think it's a huge challenge. And in many ways, it's what keeps them going. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. Yeah. um, I mean, I think I've, I've heard a few stories where sometimes that's coming from within, but sometimes it's coming from uh, without a, a, a mentor, maybe giving, you know, honest feedback about something. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, again, one of the things that we, one of the things that I know I learned was this role that, you know, you can't do it by yourself. And that the idea of something horrible happening, right? Some kind of trauma, tragedy, et cetera, happening. And that you have to bootstrap your way out of that situation is actually a harmful idea or a harmful way of thinking, because oftentimes we might not have the wherewithal to do that. And so to be able to reach out to, you know, the communities that you have built or work with to be able to say, I need help in this, mm-hmm. or to be able to rely on others to, you know, as I was saying earlier, maybe take your place for a little while. Th- that's really powerful. And I think that is also what has kept people on track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
You raise a big question in maybe episode eight or nine about whether doing good makes you a good person. And I'm guessing that there is no single or simple answer to that question. But it did make me wonder about a or the flip side of that, if not doing good makes you a bad person. You know, the question, I guess, is does guilt motivate people to do good? And are there healthy and unhealthy motivations for people to pursue doing good? I think as a social worker, I'm going to say, yes, there are a bunch of different (laughs) unhealthy motivations Mm -hmm. um, and a myriad of different reasons why people are compelled to do good. I was just having a conversation with a very good friend about our defense mechanisms and how altruism is actually a defense mechanism, you Mm -hmm. know, that we have when we do something bad, we want to make up for it. So, you know, we, we do the complete opposite. But one of the things that uh, with our goodness, at least the uh, folks that we interviewed were very clear about was that none of them felt like the work that they do or the communities that they serve is a burden mm-hmm. or that they feel um, the weight of uh, guilt or shame or or even a negative type of responsibility. And that to me was really quite joyous about the way that they describe their work as a partnership, uh, a, a creation, co-creation of something better and seeing while recognizing that there are these very hard junctures, but that um, it, it was worth, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of what you have to pass through. Um, there's this I think it was in episode nine where we talk about what would you tell your younger self? Mm-hmm. Almost everyone was like that it's really hard, but to just keep going. <laughs> um, and I think that maybe that speaks to it a little. I love your question in the sense that I think it is important for people to ask why they're doing good, because I think at the end of the day, those reasons have to resonate also with who you are and the legacy that you want to leave or maybe that's really grandiose. Maybe it's just about like how you want to live your life. And I know that we've been talking a lot in the world about social justice and equity and diversity and inclusion, belonging. Mm. And um, I think the most important point of that discussion is how do we stop being performative? Like how do we stop doing good or, or acting in a certain way just to make it look like we're doing good? And how mm. do we really just do it? The latter is so much harder. It's easy to be performative. You know, it's easy to look yeah. and say the right thing. Well, particularly easy on social media, I suppose. With uh, Absolutely. Uh, um, and I suppose it comes back to what we were saying earlier a bit about kindness and my idea that there may always be someone on the, the short end of the stick, I suppose, in what people are doing. Maybe I'm just too much of a pessimist. <laughs> No, I think it's that I think you're a realist. It sounds, uh, you know, you're being kind, Annalise. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> Honest, that's good. So the podcast has ten episodes. Is that correct? Yes. Will there be more good nicks coming in another season or another? That's our plan. Um, okay. uh, it's been a great uh, experience, ju- not just getting to work with these, you know, 10 incredible people and learning about what they're doing, 
but also the process working with our team uh, has been a great area of learning for me, a lesson in kind of storytelling and and curation um, in terms of how best to get people's stories out there. But I'm just so excited. We've been getting so much feedback from other people saying, you have to talk to so-and-so, or I want to hear about someone doing work in this area. And it's um, really, I don't know, soul affirming. Does that, I mean, I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's the right term. Um, So it's something that I definitely hope continues. Um, It was, like I said, a, a great project and really affirmed like the power and and reach of people's stories. Yeah. And to maybe wrap up on a positive note, what's something that someone did for you that was good recently or a moment that you realized that someone was championing you? Um, I work with a great tribe of women um, specifically and uh, because I've done a lot of my work in the women's movement and my area of research is in human trafficking and modern day slavery. And so let's see a recent thing that uh, someone did that was good for me. Uh, Actually just this morning, I had a student reach out to me who had a very horrible situation and incident. And it just froze me for a moment because I really wanted to respond like in a way that was both empathetic and helpful, but her situation was so horrific (laughs) that I just kind of froze for a moment and I turned it over to a colleague of mine and I said, Hey, I just need some help with this. I want to respond appropriately and correctly. I don't want to get this wrong. And I think in that situation, it would be, have been very easy for her to say, I trust you, you know what to say to her, or here's a number of somebody that could help you. But instead she sent me this very beautiful email that had 10 resources in the community that had verbiage and language that I should use. And then also at the end said, if there's anything else you need, please just call me so that we can make sure this woman gets what she needs. And I thought that was such a great way of response of seeing not just that I wanted to help, but the way that I wanted to help mm-hmm. and of um, being able, you know, to champion my own capacity to be built as opposed to also just saying, okay, just send her to me and I'll take care of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that that's part of championing is being kind of that moment of learning and of, of expansiveness and abundance, um, which is almost as hard as kindness. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, you know, if we're making a list. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Annalisa, thank you so much for talking to me about Good Nicks here on Metapod. Uh, Your optimism is very inspiring, and I wish you continued strength in the good work that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me and for um, giving me the opportunity to share. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks. Thank you to Annalisa for an open discussion about some of the more challenging aspects of doing good in the world. Like she said, even if you're just thinking about doing good in your community or personal life, Good Nicks is food for thought and a source of encouragement that everyone can do something to aid change. 
You can find Good Nicks on the web at goodnicks.org. Good Nicks is also on Twitter and Instagram, and they've got a newsletter if you're interested. There are links for you in the show notes. If you have feedback about this or any other episode of Metapod, send a note via Twitter at The Metapod Show. Also, your ratings and reviews are appreciated on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to Metapod. Those interested to hear more from social activists who are also podcasters might be interested in an upcoming episode of Metapod featuring the Reverend Billy and Savitri D. of Earth Riot. You might know Billy and Savitri from their performance art and activism around issues of capitalism and consumerism. The pair have been active in New York City over the last few decades with their Church of Stop Shopping. More recently, they've extended their action to issues related to climate change and the environment. Earth Riot is a fairly new project of theirs, and it's an entertaining mashup of environmental news, thought starters, music, song, interview clips, and most importantly, imagination. I hope to have you back for that soon enough. That's all for now. Thank you for listening to Metapod. See you next time. That's it for Metapod this time. Thanks for listening. Metapod will be back soon with another unpacking of the web's most interesting podcasts. But in the meantime, make sure to subscribe at any of the usual places you find your other favourite podcasts. We'd hate for you to miss upcoming episodes, and we'd love it if you left us a review. You can let us know what you think of this episode by going to metapodshow.com. We'll see you next time. This episode of Metapod was recorded, edited, and produced by me, Wendy Morrill.